be cutting CDs. That was good. Thank you. Appreciate that. If you want to take your Bibles, turn back to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Well, we're living on the wild side today. I wore my new suit. Anybody notice? I was told this morning I look like Billy Manilli, Joel Osteen, and Plum Puddin'. So, but I like it. Praise the Lord. My wife gave me this suit for Christmas, and I wore it today, and I'm excited about it. Somebody said, was there a $100 bill in the pocket? I said, no, there's a $100 bill, bill in the pocket. Well, amen. How many folks are wearing Christmas clothes right now? Something you got for Christmas. Look at that. Half the crowd. Well, the other half, you need to get some new clothes out there. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 4. If you have a pen, I'd like for you to do something in your Bible. I'd like for you to underscore the first five words of verse 6. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. So built we the wall. I underlined that in my Bible. It's, oh, it's probably been a week or two ago. It's going through my daily devotions and reading down through here and finishing up the Old Testament for this year. And boy, I read those words and they just stuck out. So built we the wall. And so I've entitled the message that. And uh, I hope this will be a help, a blessing to you. This last Sunday of 2007, we're looking forward to a new year. I don't know about you, but I like new things. I like new cars. Amen. New suits, <laughs> uh, and a new year, and uh, I hope this will be a help and a challenge to all of us. Let's pray together, ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we do rejoice in your goodness. Lord, this music this morning was such a blessing, the hymns, the choir, and then the special. Lord, it stirred my heart and um, refreshed me already. And I pray now, as we look in the Word of God, I pray that you dear God, would be the speaker, that you would speak to our hearts. God, I yield myself to you. I yield my will. I uh, yield my thoughts and all, and I surrender them to you, and I pray they would be your thoughts. And Lord, the, the words spoken in the next few moments would be the Holy Spirit of God speaking through me. I present to you as a vessel, dear God, my body, and ask you to work, fill me with your spirit, and speak and work through me. Give all of us open hearts, Lord. Help, help none of us to be cold or hard-hearted to the Word of God. But we would be open to what you have for us. And we'd be able to go forward and grow this coming year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 6. So built we the wall. I hope you would underscore that passage. That little text. That little phrase in your Bible. I think most of us perhaps are familiar with the story of Nehemiah. He was a displaced Jew, taken, of course, uh, as captive by the Medes and Persians when they overrun Jerusalem, taken to Shushan, was the capital of Persia. And there, through a series of events, the Bible doesn't tell us, history doesn't record for us, we don't know how it happened, but Nehemiah became the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. If you read Ezra and different portions of the Bible, you'll read about king of the Persians, King Darius. Same fella as Artaxerxes. Different name. He went by, for whatever reason, had various names for him. But uh, he became cupbearer for King Artaxerxes in Shushan the palace. Now, what does a cupbearer do? He says, well, he brings them his cups. Well, there's a little bit more to it than that. As a cupbearer, Nehemiah was really part of the king's uh, secret service, if you will. He was part of security for the king, a very integral part, a very high-level position. Nehemiah was responsible for making sure that the food that the king of Persia ate was not poisoned. It was acceptable to him. Of course, it had to be of the highest quality for the king. But it also had to be secure, safe for him to eat. Of course, in that situation, much like in our day, there's many enemies of the king, other nations, uh, insurrections within the kingdom would try and take out the king. So Nehemiah was a very, very key player in the security of the king of Persia. Um, 
he finds out that Jerusalem, his hometown, his city where they met with God and the, the heart of the Jews' relationship with the Lord, he found out that Jerusalem was in shambles, particularly the wall around the city was uh, in rubble and knocked down. The city was uh, nearly deserted. People had scattered. Now, we don't understand in our day the significance of having a wall around the city. But again, that wall was part of the security of the city. It was a line of defense to keep attacking armies out of the city, and they would station people up. And no doubt you've read it in history and seen pictures of how it works. Well, the wall was down. Jerusalem had no defense. Nehemiah in Shushan, and and the, uh, the capital of Persia, he hears about the wall being torn down, and his heart is broke. And God stirs his heart to somehow, some way, he felt like he needed to do something to get that city back up the way it needed to be. Uh, I don't believe in chapter 1 he fully comprehended what all he could do, but somebody needed to do something, and he was willing to do what he could do to get that wall built back up again. And so, he heads back to Jerusalem, God puts this in his heart to rebuild the wall, And the book of Nehemiah consists of his experience of rebuilding the wall there around Jerusalem. I like Nehemiah. Good guy. In fact, I would say he's one of the great men in the Old Testament history of all the different people God deals with throughout the book of the Old Testament. Nehemiah is one of the great ones. I like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man of character. If you study his life, it's given to us in in the book of Nehemiah, you find that Nehemiah was a man of character. And by that I mean this, he could be trusted. If Nehemiah said something was so, you could bank on it, it was so. He was a man of character. He was a man that was reliable. Man, if he was going to do something, it was going to get done. You could rely on him, you could trust him. He was an honest man. I tell you what, our nation could use some men of character in this day and age. People who, men of their word, men who can be trusted, men who are reliable, men who are just honest and true to their word. Nehemiah was such a man. Nehemiah, I like Nehemiah, he was a man of character. He was a man of conviction. He knew there was some things in the heart of Nehemiah that he knew were so. And he was not going to budge on them. Nehemiah had some convictions about prayer. Some of the greatest prayers recorded in the Bible are recorded in the book of Nehemiah. He cries out to God. He's about to attempt a great thing for God, a great exploit for the Lord. But he begins it with prayer. He, He plans it with prayer. He carries it out with prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And again, I say, the year 2007, we could use some men of prayer. Convictions about prayer believing that there's a God in heaven and a God that hears and answers prayer if we come to Him in sincerity and truth. Nehemiah had some convictions about prayer. Nehemiah had some convictions about holiness. Well, you read chapter 1 and you see him confessing the sins of God's people. And as he pours out his heart, you can almost sense the conviction of his heart of how they've sinned against a holy God and what God expects from us. I was thinking yesterday, our God is a good God. I had gotten out a little bit. I took the day, part of the day off, really, and uh, spent a little time out in the woods. And uh, I was just thinking about the Lord. I got thinking about all the thing that God, things that God does for me. I wasn't seeing any deer, so I got thinking about stuff. And, uh, but I got thinking about all the things that God does for us. Our God is a good God. Isn't it amazing? We grieve Him so much. Things we say. Things we tolerate. Things we do. And you know so much of this. So, And I hate to say this, but we need to be honest. I think it would be good to end the one old year and begin a new year just being honest, huh? And so much that we tolerate in our lives, we know from the Scripture, it has to be, it has to grieve the heart of our Savior. And yet He's so good to us. And we'll ask Him for the most insignificant things, and God will give it to us. God blesses us. What a merciful God. I picked that up from Nehemiah. 
chapter 1, he prays. And he, and he doesn't say, God, Jerusalem's destroyed because those wicked people are there. No, no, he says, we have sinned against you. He included himself in it. He says, we're guilty. We can't even lift our faces up. Lord, we're ashamed to even ask anything. Nehemiah was a man of conviction about holiness. I hate to say this, but we are losing holiness in our independent fundamental Baptist churches. There was a day when Baptists were known as preaching holiness, living holy lives, separated unto the Lord, distinct in our faith, in our walk, in our lifestyle, as people of the book. And yet we're losing that. Nehemiah was a man of conviction. He's a man of character, conviction. He had convictions about prayer. He had convictions about holiness. He had convictions about the well-being of God's people. He felt like it was his responsibility to do all he could to make sure God's people were in good shape. That God's people were taken care of. He did not have a a me-centered Christianity. He did not have a self-centered focus in his faith and his relationship with God. It wasn't all, God, what do you do for me? God, what do you do for me? What do you do for me? No, no, no. It was, God, how can you use me to help others? How can you use me to be a blessing to others? I picked up a phrase years ago, and I've used it occasionally over the years, but I I call it this. We, We develop ingrown eyeballs. And everything is evaluated by what it affects us. And all we see is ourselves. And that translates many times into our walk with the Lord and into our Christianity. And it's all, what does God do for me? What does God do for me? What does the church do for me? What do these people do for me, for me, for me? We get ingrown eyeballs, but Nehemiah wasn't that way. He said, God, how can you use me to be a blessing to others? How can I help God's people? How can I advance the cause of the Lord in the lives of His people? He had a conviction about the well-being of others. Nehemiah was a man of character, a man of conviction. He also had a conviction about the importance of hard work. Brother Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, is a book about working hard rebuilding those walls, clearing the rubbish, bringing people back in, organizing and establishing uh, the, the renewed worship of the city and security of the city and getting the gates up. And they worked and they worked hard. By the way, you, you and I feel better at the end of the day when we worked hard that day than we was just laid around. Am I right or wrong? get a day like Christmas or something, you just kind of lay around and don't do a whole lot, I'm generally grouchy and miserable at the end of the day. Now, I wasn't this Christmas because I got a new suit. (laughs) And I don't look at me so pious because I know when you lay around all day and don't do much, you're grouchy at the end of the day. Right, Right or wrong, somebody help me here, please. Well, you work hard. Man, you give yourself to a a cause and you give yourself to something you exert effort into and put some into it. Boy, at the end of the day, you feel good. Nehemiah was a man of conviction. And he had a conviction about working hard. Conviction about prayer, holiness, the well-being of God's people. But Nehemiah was also a man of compassion. Man of compassion. Look with me, if you would. And I wish we had... Man, there's so much here. Look at chapter 3 and... Really, you need to see the whole chapter. I don't know why I'm having you look at it, because there's no way we can read the whole chapter. But you find in chapter 3, they're repairing the wall. And what is happening, he organizes this thing, and he has all these different leaders of the, Jew, of the Israelites, and he has them working side by side, working hand with hand, and they're putting this wall together, and something is taking place. Remember, the Jews had been scattered. God's judgment had come on them because of their disobedience and sin. God scattered them, destroyed the city. Now they're coming back, again, at the direction of the Lord. And not only are they rebuilding walls, but they're reestablishing their relationships one with another. And people who no doubt had been at enmity, people who had been scattered, are now back together and they're working hand in hand. They're seeing something accomplished and their relationships are being reunited. I'll tell you what's good for a church. Say, I want a church that's united. Well, you're never going to have a perfect church. Amen? If you find one, don't join it. You'll ruin it. But you know what's, you know what the best thing is? Usually, I found this. 
I found, I'll give you a little pastoral thinking, mine anyway. It might be warped, but this is the way it is. Um, if somebody comes and say, oh, we just be, we, we, we're just so divided, we need to be united, that's code word for something. What that means is, we're not doing it my way. <laughs> it's usually what it means. We're, we're too divided, we need to be united. Cause, and, and what that means is, how comes not everybody's doing it the way I think it should be done? It's usually what it means. But you know what's good? I thought that was funnier than what you laughed at it, but there we go. Thank you. Um, But you know what will unite a church more than anything? Getting busy about the work of God. Getting busy. Find something to do. Find work to do around here. Soul winning, bus ministry, choir, children's church, whatever it may be. Working on the facilities here. Painting the auditorium, different things. Man, you get busy about that. You get working together. And boy, that'll do more. A busy church working for the glory of God, the good of others. That'll bring unity to that church. So Nehemiah was a man of compassion. He loved God's people. And he got them together and reestablished relationships as they're doing something for the Lord. I like Nehemiah. Now we come to chapter 4. And we notice verse number 6. So built we the wall. They're plugging away. Nehemiah's got this thing organized. He's got it laid out. He's got the materials and facilities. God's answered his prayer. All of this has, is coming together. And man, they're going at it. And progress is being made. Look, look at the whole verse there. So built we the wall, and the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. What in the world does that mean? You know what that means? They're making double time. They're working. They're accomplishing more than they thought they would. They're ahead of schedule. Man, they're working hard. Things are happening. Look at the last part of the verse. For the people had a, what? Mind to, what? Work. Brother, they're into it. Progress is being made. And they're plugging away. But I want you to notice, first of all, the certainty of opposition. Certainty of opposition. You mark it down. You start doing something for God. You take a step forward for the Lord. You get involved in the work of Christ in the year 2008. And I'll tell you right now, you will face opposition. Mark it down. Brother Leatherman, I didn't think it'd be like this. Well, this is not a, it's not, it's a, um, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. There's going to be opposition. How many folks are familiar with Murphy's Laws? Anybody familiar with Murphy's Laws? You know, Murphy, I found out, is an actual real guy. He was a technician for, um, he would study uh, he would do a study with people when they're in high-speed motion and the effects on the body. And he came up with Murphy's Law. He had to put 16 sensors on a person or on some machine, and, uh, he, put, and he put them all in backwards. It was like gazillions of dollars worth. And so he came up with Murphy's Laws as a result of that. Let me give you a few Murphy's Laws. One of Murphy's Laws is if anything can go wrong, what? It will. It's Murphy's Law. Can I get a witness on that one there? Uh, if left to themselves, things tend to go from bad to worse. You never find a lost item until you've replaced it. If everything seems to be going well, you've obviously overlooked something. <laughs> and there is another certain law just as sure as Murphy's, and if not more so. You go forward for the Lord, and you will face opposition. I talked to a young lady this week, fairly young lady, this week. She had, Tom and I had visitor. Where'd Tom go? Uh, There he is. Tom and I had visitor a number of weeks ago, a month or so ago, and uh, we went through the gospel with her, and uh, she prayed and trusted the Lord Jesus Savior. I think she was sincere. You know, not everybody does that sincere. I believe she was sincere. She's real earnest. She told us. She said, man, God's, I can't believe you guys come by. She says, God's been working in my life. I've been trying to get things around. I've been praying to God. I can't believe you guys come by. Didn't she say something to that effect? And so uh, we visited with her and, and worked with her. She made a profession of faith. She came out a time or two, and then I didn't see her. I call and call and call, and no one answered. We go by. We knock on the door. We knew people were home. We could hear the TV and the lights were on. She didn't come to the door. Finally, about a week or so ago, I got a phone call from her. She had a prayer request. I said, man, where have you been? My wife has been trying to get a hold of you. I've been trying to get a hold of you. 
And uh, she started to break down a little bit on the phone. She said, Pastor Leatherman, I'm so sorry. She goes, after I prayed with you guys to trust the Lord, she goes, I, I, I have every intention. I want to go on for God. But Satan has been fighting me so hard. She said this, I didn't think it would be this hard. You know what she's facing? Opposition. Opposition. I hope you pray for her. And uh, she goes, I, I need to do that. And, and she goes, I want to. And in my heart, I know I, wanna, I want things to be right with the Lord. And I want to be something for the Lord. But she goes, man, it's just constantly everything coming up. Listen, you mark it down. You take one step forward for the Lord. And you're going to have all kinds of opposition. It's so what happened here at the Jews. They're building the wall. Man, they're making progress. This is the city of God, Jerusalem, the city of David. The temple is here. Ezra, of course, is rebuilding the temple. And they've got to get these walls up. It'll just be destroyed again. And so they're making progress. Some people had a mind to work. They're plugging away. But they had to deal with some things, some opposition. They had the opposition of fear. Look at verse 11 of chapter 4 of Nehemiah. And our adversaries said, there's always adversaries, my friend. There's always adversaries. Uh, you, if you trust the Lord as Savior, I'm telling you, you've suddenly, the devil's become your adversary. This world has become the adversary. Hey, I hate to say it, but this old flesh becomes your adversary. And so, our adversaries, verse 11, and, Jude, uh, uh, verse 11, and our adversaries said, they shall not know, speaking about the folks working on the wall, neither see till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And the Jews became afraid. Here was threats and they became fearful. You know, I found, I found sometimes people won't get saved because they're afraid of what it'll, how it will affect their life. They're afraid of what others will say and do. I hate to say this, but there are people, no doubt, who have died and gone to hell and would not get saved because simple fear of what someone or someone would do. How, how many folks here recognize the name Jacob Gardenhouse? Does anybody recognize the name Jacob Gardenhouse? Jacob Gardenhouse was a member of Mountain Lake Independent, or not Mountain Lake Independent, was a member of Highland Park Baptist Church when I joined the church in, in 1981. Jacob Gardenhouse was an Orthodox Jew that got saved. He started the International Board of Jewish Missions and in his generation was very well known among Independent Baptists. He's been dead for many years now and, and folks don't hear much of him anymore. Jacob Gardenhouse gave his testimony in the church. I heard it once or twice before he passed away. And he would talk about, in chapel I guess it was, but he would talk about how his family, when he trusted Christ, disowned him and literally had a funeral for their son. The parents had a funeral for their son because he trusted Jesus Christ as his Messiah. He would call them, they'd find out who it was, and they'd say, sorry, there is, we have no son by that name, and hang up. He would write them letters, they'd be returned, uh, no, no, returned to sender. They, had, they treated him like he was dead, and this person coming by, they didn't know who it was. He said his other extended family members, and I can still hear him say it, he said, they would beat me and beat me, he had a heavy accent, they would beat me and beat me because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, I'd, I'd preach to my people, the Jews, and they would beat me. Thank God fear did not keep Jacob Gardenhouse from coming and trusting Jesus Savior. And fear is an issue if we're going to go on for God, if we're going to live for God. We need to be able to deal with the issue of fear just like the Jews did building that wall. There's going to be threats. There's going to be opposition. Sometimes fear will keep Christians from serving the Lord. I don't know. And I, I've been in this situation myself, but I don't know how many times I've heard people say, and like I just said, I've no doubt I've said this myself. Boy, you know, I'd like to be a witness. I'd like to share the gospel with people. But I'm just afraid. I don't know what I'll say. I remember when I would first go out visiting and I'd go up and we're going to go soul winning. We were in college. We were required to go soul winning. I'd go knock on the door, you know. And you'd go up and you'd knock on the door. You'd knock like this. Oh, nobody's home. Oh, well, too bad. You know. Or he say, all right, let's have a word of prayer before we go up this house. Lord, please don't let anybody be home here. 
fear. Now we laugh about that, but there's a sad side to that. People don't hear the gospel. People go on without Christ, die and go to hell because a Christian is afraid to say something for the Lord. Listen, if we're going to go forward, how many folks here, you're saved, you know it, say amen. Amen. Now, if, if that's true, and I believe it is, if that's true, then I believe all of us that, that just testified to that, we want to go on for the Lord. We want to grow this year, right? We want to be strong in our faith. We want, to be, we want to please the Lord with our lives. We want to go forward for the Lord. You know, if that's the case, we're going to have to deal with fear. Just going to have to face it and go on. And so the Jews, as they're building the wall, they had to deal with the issue of fear, but they also had to deal with the issue of failure. Look at verse 10. And Judah said, the strength of the burdens, of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, and we are not able to build the wall. They came to a point where it just became so overwhelming, they said, we can't do this, we failed. We've bit off more than we can chew. We've attempted more than we're able to accomplish. We failed at this effort. Listen, I would far rather try something and fail than never try anything. I would far rather attempt to do something for God and fail at it than never attempt anything at all. Listen, you don't want to ever fail, then don't try anything. But you know what that will make you? A failure. Failure is not failing. Failure is never attempting to succeed. Take your Bibles with me if you would. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Now keep your place here, but turn over to Proverbs real quickly with me. Boy, I hope you still got your pen. If you don't have a pen, borrow your neighbor's pen. And I'd like for you to underscore a very, very important verse in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse number 16. I cannot tell you how many times this verse has blessed my soul and helped me go on for the Lord. Proverbs 24 and verse number 16. Look what it says. Are you there? Has everybody got it? Page 689, your old Schofield Bible. Look what it says. For a just man. What kind of man? Is that a good guy or a bad guy? Saved or lost? This is a good guy. This is a saved person. This is somebody on God's side. This is somebody who means business for the Lord. This is somebody who's, who's living their life according to the principles of God's Word as best they can. A just man. Look what it says. A just man falleth. Does it stop there? No. A just man falleth what? Seven times. It doesn't say a just man may fall seven times. It doesn't say a just man might fall seven times, but it says a just man what? Falleth. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four, five, or six, seven times. The good man, the saved man that loves the Lord, that wants to serve God, that wants to make a difference for the cause of Christ, that lives by the principles of the Word of God. The just man shall fall seven times. But it doesn't end there. The just man falleth seven times and what? Riseth up again. Thank God for that verse. A just man falls and he gets back up again. And he falls and he gets back up again. And he falls and he gets back up again. And he falls and he gets back up again. Listen, if you and I are going to accomplish anything for the Lord, if we're going to have any impact on our children, if we're going to have any impact on our community, if we're going to do anything that brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to accomplish anything, that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and He's going to say, here is a crown, you did a good job, you did what I said, if that is going to happen, we're going to have to deal with failure, because nobody has ever attempted and succeeded at everything they tried, a just man falleth seven times. But you get one person, they say, well, I'll try it. And they step out and poof, poof, they stumble. I'm never doing that again. I tried that and it didn't work. That's a failure. Amen. But success is trying something, stumbling and falling. Huh. I'll try that again. Did something wrong, figured out. 
good night. I'm going to try it again. And keep trying and coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. Amen. I'm not disappointed. I have to say this carefully. I'm not disappointed when someone in the church falls. Not that I expect it or I like it. But I am disappointed when they don't get back up. Amen. It does, it, does, it does make my heart sad if somebody gets away from the Lord. Somebody gets out, gets a little out of whack. It makes my heart sad as pastor and all of us, of course. But I'm not discouraged at that point. When I get discouraged is when they don't get back up. Huh? Does that make sense? The only way this wall ever got finished was when they failed, they said, we can't do it, it's too much, we failed. And then they got back at, at the work again. And they got going. If we're going to build, if we're going to have an impact in our, young, in our young people, if we're going to influence our families, I'm talking to the fathers and husbands now, if we are going to have any type of influence on in our family, members of the church, if we're going to influence Oakland, and this awful thing about bringing liquor in Sundays, and... I'm so disappointed. But if we're going to make any effort at all, we've got to step out and try things, and if it fails, we get back up and we go on. And we're going to have to deal with failure. I think we bring some of the greatest preachers in the United States of America through this pulpit. God has given us the opportunity to do that, and brother, I want to take advantage of that opportunity. You think, you think these great men, you think they've never failed? You think they've never blown it? You think they've never tried something and it absolutely blew up in their face? Boy, you ought to sit and have lunch with them sometime. Talk to them. They'll tell you horror stories. Tom Wallace, you ought to hear his stories. You know what? He just kept going at it and just kept going at it and just kept going at it. He just kept picking up another block and building that wall. Something happens to him, just go back, pick up another block and keep building that wall. They had to deal with fear. They had to deal with failure. They had to deal also with uh, fatigue. Look at verse 10 again. Come back there to Nehemiah. The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. What does that mean? Their strength is decayed. It rotted away. It's gone. They're wore out. They're tired. They're weak. Hey, you know what I found out? Living for God, living a life that is pleasing to God, being the husband that God wants me to be, being the father that God wants me to be, being the Christian that the church needs me to be, being the pastor that the church expects me to be, is not easy. It's hard. Whoever told you living a victorious Christian life was a piece of cake, whoever told you it was easy, lied to you. It is not easy. It takes hard work. And sometimes you get tired. So he says, were you tired? I was born tired. I don't remember the last time I wasn't tired. And they got fatigued. And listen, if we're going to do something for God, we got to deal with being tired. We have to face it. If we're going to have an influence, it requires time. It requires effort. It requires work. And we're going to be tempted to give in when we're tired. I don't know how many times people in this church over the years have said, Preacher, I almost didn't come to church tonight. I was so tired. But uh, afterward, they're like, Man, I'm glad I came to church tonight. Praise God. God stirred my heart. Can I get a witness? You got to deal with it. Don't give in when you're tired and, and this year comes on and man, there's some heartaches here and there's some failure here and there's some things you're a little scared of and some things and issues in life we have to deal with and you just get tired. You say, God, it's just constant. Don't give in to the temptation. Keep going forward for the Lord. They had to deal with fatigue. They had to deal with failure, fear. They also had to deal with, I put it this way, foolishness. Look at verse 1. Chapter 4, Nehemiah. But it came to pass that when Sanballat, you could write in the margin of the Bible, bad guy. That when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. That means very, very angry. 
and took great indignation and what? Come on, I can't hear you. And he did what? He mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? In other words, they're going to build this whole thing in a day. I mean, they were cranking it out. Are they going to build this whole thing in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? He's mocking them. Let me give you a little insight here. When you're trying to do something for God, when you're trying to take a stand for the Lord, when you're trying to do right, and somebody comes and starts questioning every little thing you do, listen, they're not your friend. They're not out to help you. When they want to challenge and question every little, every little conviction and every little thing you want to do for God, and what about this, or this, or that, or this, and that, and the other, that person's not out to help you live for God. They were mocking the Jews. It was foolishness. Look, read on. Look at verse 3. And now Tobiah, the Ammonite, you can put in your margin Bible, another bad guy. Now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was by him and said, so Tobiah is standing beside Samballot, Samballot's mocking him. Are they going to do this? He's throwing all these questions out. Tobiah, I picture Samballot as a big, tall, he's kind of the leader. Tobiah's a short little guy down there beside him. And he hears him throwing all these questions out. So Tobiah pipes up. And he steps up and he gets real brave, you know, after Samballot's doing all this. Tobiah, the Ammonite, was by him. And he said, oh yeah, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Ha, 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 ha. What's he saying? He's saying, oh yeah, they built a wall, but if a fox runs across it, it's so pitiful, it'll just collapse. They're just making fun of him. And they're mocking him. Ridicule, get this, ridicule is a major weapon that the devil and the world uses against the people of God. If you've tried to, if you've tried to take a stand at your job, you've faced it. I know that. If, you've got, if you're in a public school or even a Christian school, as far as that goes, and you try and live for God, you try and stand out for God, brother, it don't take long for names to start coming your way. And ridicule and questions and mocking and making fun. I remember we worked at the meatpacking plant. Uh, I worked there for four years. The last two years, I got saved when I was 19. Actually, the last, uh, I worked there three years. And I got saved in the last year. I was there a little over a year. And brother, it was all ex-con, drug addicts, and alcoholics worked there. The, the, just shortly before I got saved, one of the, the foremen got saved. And right about the same time I got saved, one of the ladies that worked up on the line, cut the meat, broke it down, uh, uh, she got saved. So there's three of us. And none of us knew each other before, but we got talking about the Lord. And when Leatherman got saved, it was like a... A volcano erupted in there, socially speaking. I mean, the places in a leather religion. And uh, so we three kind of gravitated to each other, and we'd share testimonies and prayer requests and whatnot. We became known as the God Squad. These folks thought it was hilarious. The God Squad. Oh, Leatherman's going to shave his head and sell roses at the airport. I did part of that, but... Um, And I'll be honest with you, they came up with some of the most hilarious things making fun of us. And I thought they were a hoot. And as time went on, and as what God had done in my heart became evident that it was real, and as time went on, as the Spirit of God was taking root in my life, and He was beginning to manifest Himself through my life, and, and my life was changing in deeper ways than just superficial immediately, then things were changing. The ridicule became more v viral, became more violent. And suddenly it wasn't laughing anymore, it was getting angry. And I'll never forget just a few months before I quit, uh, Bob, one of the fellows there that used to, we're buddies, we used to do stupid things together, and he came up to me and said, Leatherman, after work today, I'm busting you up. I said, man, what would I do? He says, you make me sick. I said, well, I never did anything to you, Bob. I don't, I don't got any problem with you. He said, I got a problem with you. You disgust me after work. Now, I'm 20 years old at this point. He's probably 25. This isn't little kid playground stuff. Brother, I was, I hate to, 
I know this will be a shock to you, but I was scared. I know that's amazing. I prayed and prayed. Uh, some other guys came around and said, ah, he's not going to do nothing. He won't do nothing, man. I said, I don't know. And uh, we went out, and he's sitting in his van. And um, I won't tell you how I beat him up. But um, <laughs> no, I prayed and prayed. He was sitting in his van. I went over. I said, listen, Bob, man, I don't got any problem with you. I'm praying for you. He cussed me out and spun out and drove away. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. This world is no friend of grace. If you think you're going to live for God and dedicate your life to Christ, commit yourself to Lord Jesus Christ, and they're going to put you on their shoulders and sing, for he's a jolly good fellow, it's not going to happen. And the Jews had to deal with this. And if that wall was going to be built, they were going to have to deal with ridicule, foolishness. They're going to have to overcome fear. They're going to have to work when they're tired. They're going to have to get back up again when they fail. They've got to just keep on at it. Ridicule is a major weapon of the world, the devil, against the people of God. Pharaoh ridiculed Moses. David was mocked by Goliath. Jeremiah was ridiculed by the king's servants when they threw him in the prison. Elijah was ridiculed by little children. Said, go up thou bald head, go up. Elisha, I should say, go up thou bald head, go up thou bald head. I want to remind you, a she-bear came out and killed every one of them. That made fun of a person with bald, who was bald. So be careful. Elijah was mocked, Elisha was mocked by the children. Jesus was mocked by the Roman soldiers. Hey, if we're worried about people mocking us, we'll never have anything to offer Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. If ridicule and foolishness and, and mocking is going to stop us from doing anything for God, then we're never going to do anything for God. Some people never get saved. Because they don't want to be mocked. Some people never get saved because they say, well, I just don't think I'll be able to live it. I'll fail. Listen, it's not us living it that saves us. It's Christ dying for us that saves us. Some people never get saved because they're afraid of what people might do. uh, And they never get saved. But you know what is equally sad? Some Christians never go on for God for the very same reasons. Never attempt to witness to a soul. Never establish an effective devotion time. Never take a stand for that which is right. Never really get faithful and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I want us to consider the certainty of opposition. And I end with this. I want you to notice their commitment to build. Come back to where we started. And I end with this. So built we the wall. Got studying that, that word so is an interesting word. It were, they're saying in response to all this opposition, in response to f- mocking, foolishness, failure, fear, fatigue, in response to all of that, we just kept right on building the wall. So built we the wall. The word so there has the idea of just keeping on, just staying at it. And when the crowds were big, we built the wall. When the crowds were small, we kept building the wall. When we were strong and happy and awake, we built the wall. When we were weak, sick and tired, we kept building the wall. When we blew it, we built the wall. When somehow we did something right, we kept building the wall. We just kept building and building and building and building. And that's the way we influence people. And that's the way you change a community. And that's the way you win souls to Christ. You just stay at it. And you just stay at it. And they need to see Christ in you when you're happy. And they need to see Christ in you when you're sad. And they need to see Christ in you when you succeed. And they need to see Christ in you when you fail. And when you're strong. And when you're weak. And you just go right on. God give us some people in 2008, folks that will say, I'm just going to build the wall God's given me. I'm just going to go at it. 
If I blow it with my kids, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to ask God to forgive me. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep on at it. I'm going to try and witness to my boss at work. I'm going to try and witness to my cousin in the family. I'm going to try and witness to my neighbor. And if I blow it, I'm just going to come back at it again. And if I don't feel like it, I'm going to do it anyway. And if I fail, I'll just try it a different way. But I'm not going to quit. We got empty pews all around this auditorium. People who failed didn't come back. Right or wrong? People got tired. People were afraid what someone would think. That's that strict church. Ooh, I don't want to be identified with that. We're not strict, we're biblical. Try to be anyway. They just kept building the wall. I want to challenge you in 2008, keep working at building your testimony. What's your testimony like at the job? Do people see you as a Christian who's committed to Christ? Well, preacher, it's not really where it ought to be. Hey, why don't you start building that wall of a testimony? Say, man, I've blown it. Hey, you're qualified for the job. Get back up. Man, it's just gets, you just work at it and work at it, and they just make funny. I just get tired of it. Just keep on. Just keep on. Just keep on. Nobody ever wins a war that only fights when they're not tired. Huh? Just get at it. Say, so, Brother Lemon, I think our marriage is shot. There's no way. Hey, why don't you build the wall of that marriage? Amen. Say, so, we've tried everything. We'll try it again. Say, so, there's no solution. Well, keep looking for one. See, I'm tired of the fussing. Well, just keep right on working at it and working at it and working at it. Don't you dare give up on that thing. See, I've got someone I'm trying to win to the Lord, and it's just hopeless. Well, keep on building that wall. Just keep. Well, they make fun of me. Just ignore it and keep on witnessing. Well, they, they threaten me. Well, give them bigger tracts or something. Do something. Don't quit. Build your testimony. You're witnessing to the lost. You're victorious. You say, preacher, I just can't beat this sin. Man, it's just, it just has me. This one area, I'm weak in and it keeps knocking me down and keeps knocking me down, keeps knocking me down. What I would do is I would just keep on getting back up and keep on getting back up and keep on getting back up. And every time you pray to God, give me victory. God, give me verses. Somehow help me lick this thing. And don't give in to that thing. A Christian does not have to give in to any sin the devil can come up with. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, is able to wash us from all sin. So you can't have victory in 2008. Turn with me, chapter 6, verse 15. Please. Look at this. Isn't this great? Are you there? Chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was what? They overcame it all. They got the job done. Wouldn't it be great? Get to the judgment seat of Christ. And hear Jesus Christ say to you, you personally hear Jesus say, well done. Well done. You didn't give in. You didn't quit. Oh, you faltered. You you slipped here. You fell there. You were a little scared there. You were tired there. But you just kept right at it. You just kept right at it. You just kept right at it. Well done. It is required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. He doesn't quit. Keep building the wall. So built we the wall. I, I, used to, um, I used to enjoy riding bike. When I was a young teen, I rode bike and had some nice bikes. I've taken several trips. When I was 14, we group got together. We rode bike from Vermont, Bridgetown, Bridgeport or Bridgetown, Vermont, and we rode to Philadelphia. It took nine days. I think it was like 450 miles, something like that. We rode over the highest paved road in Vermont. Why in the world they did that? I still, to this day, I'm bitter about it. But we made a schedule. We rode over. I'm telling you, it was tough. When I was 19, the summer after I got saved, I was talking about biking. A couple of the fellows in the church there enjoyed biking. Said, and one guy said, I'll put together a trip. He, made, he rode a trip from, made a trip. We left Philadelphia. We went out through central Pennsylvania, up to New York, crossed the border, went across New York, down New Jersey, 
and back to Philadelphia. It was 950 miles, and we did it in six days. We left a Monday morning and got back Saturday night. It was only supposed to be 400 miles. He goofed. It's the truth. Alan was his name. I hate him. He had the mileage set up, and he had a farmhouse arranged that he, people he knew we were going to stay there. We were only supposed to go like 60 miles the first day, which really isn't that difficult. And uh, we are supposed to stay there. Well, he goofed. It was actually 95 miles to get to that place. So the next day is supposed to be real short because your legs are really sore, and the next day you don't ride as much, and then, then you begin really cranking out later in the week. So the next day was only supposed to be like 40 or 50 miles. He goofed. The next day we had to go 95 miles again. I'm telling you, that next day, guys were dropping like flies. His wife followed behind a big truck he had in a camper, and uh, they're just quitting left and right. Dave Henninger, a fellow was riding with me, myself, and if memory serves me, there was one other fellow. We banded together. Dave and I know, I'm sure of. We banded together. We said, we are not quitting. If we die on these bikes, we're not quitting. <laughs> and so guys are, and the guy that organized the thing quit. He's back in the truck, you know, we're riding along. And there he goes, hey! And literally, and this is what I'm trying, this is what I'm trying to get at. Literally, it got to the point where to take one, you would just pedal one at a time. Just say, I'm just going to get that pedal down one more time, then I'm quitting. All right, I'm going to do it one more time. All right, I'm going to do it one more time. And that's literally how it went for several days. Your mind, every ounce of your strength and your whole mind was focused just on pushing that pedal down just one more time. They would stop every so many miles to rest, and you would immediately cramp up. Instantly, we got where we wouldn't stop. Because get back on starting was murder. And so we just, we're not going to stop. We're just going to keep on going. And at the end of the week, Dave Henninger and I, and I think there was a third one, I don't remember, but we, we never rode the truck one time. We rode that whole way on our bikes. I've never ridden a bike since then, but, um, <laughs> but this is what I'm trying to say. Sometimes it comes down to nothing more that's just doing that next thing I have to do. And I just do that next thing. Don't even worry. Say, I don't know how I'm going to make it all year. You don't have to make it all year. You just got to make it today. God's, the Bible says God gives us each day the strength we need for that day. And give me the strength I need for tomorrow. And just stay focused. Keep building the wall. Let's pray. Father in heaven.